You're listening to episode 119 of the God Center Mom podcast. Today I'm chatting with David Thomas about the art of nurturing boys. I believe when we don't create outlets, whatever that may be, whether that's time at the park after preschool or outdoor time, whatever whatever that needs to be for a boy, I really do believe that pent-up energy is a part of what sets the stage for him acting out, being disobedient. And, and I believe a boy will spend so much of his life hearing, no, don't, stop, quit, that a lot of that in my opinion is on us. We haven't created enough context for him to move and run and punch and hit and do all the things he needs to do as a very physical being. And so that pent up energy is sometimes his cry for help. And so I don't want a boy, I love that you even threw out that word shame. I don't want a boy to become shamed for being who God made him to be, a physical creature. I want us as parents to be asking questions like, how can I offer more of that him? Well, I hope you all had wonderful Mother's Days and you were celebrated. And even if it didn't meet expectations, that you were able to feel God's grace and goodness in whatever stage you're in, that you would know that he has given you children or he has given you students or he has given you friends. And that in that role, you're able to love them and show them Christ's love. And for you moms, that you would know those souls that he has blessed you with, uh, you get a chance to show them Christ's love. What? a huge gift today. We're talking about boys and all of you moms who do not have boys. I hope you didn't just turn off the episode. I hope that you're still listening because this information that David Thomas, author of wild things and so many other books, he is sharing uh, with us helps, helps me not just with my boys, but with my husband, my nephews, uh, my friends, boys. uh, When I teach boys, huge because David reminds us of how God created boys to be. They're hardwiring. And I love the balance he provides between outlets and also behavior management regulation. How do we know what's typical and how do we know what's outside of that? How do we help boys know what's okay in certain situations and not okay? And that that's our job there to give them a space to let them be the way God made them to be, but also recognize that in these other places, they need to show some regulation and control. Huge, hugely helpful. Uh, I know that it will help you also be freed as a mom. If you have that boy that's super wild and you're like, why is he like that? Or if you have a mom, if you're the mom of a boy who's stubborn and strong-willed, we talk about that. If you have the boy who uh, feels things deeply and emotionally and, and isn't your typical athletic, uh, aggressive boy, we talk about that. We talk about how to help our boys who don't want to listen. It's so good. Let's get right to it. At the end, I need to do another shout out for reviews. Thank you all for leaving reviews, helping people find the show. I'm amazed how many people are telling me even recently that they just found the show. Uh, And here we are on episode 119. So thank you for being uh, helpers to allowing other moms around the world find this podcast and be encouraged. You are helping build this community. So stick around. Listen for your review if you've left one recently. All right, let's get right to it. Here we go. Hey, David, welcome to the God Center Mom podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. I am so thrilled that Brooke connected us because as a mom of four boys, your your book, uh, Wild Things, and just your presence, I think I saw you at Dot Mom once, you're like the one person I have to help me out <laughs> with, with this uh, tricky scenario I find myself in of trying to raise people so unlike me 
Uh, so I appreciate you. Thank you so much for all you're doing. Well, four boys. How many <laughs> cups of coffee have you had this morning? I've, I've just made it through one and now I'm on to tea. I'm on to tea now. I'm on to tea. You are heroic. <laughs> Amazing. Four boys. Okay. So before we get into it, I'd love for you to introduce us all to your family. I'd be happy to. I am a husband and to an amazing woman. I'm married way out of my league. It's been <laughs> one of the best decisions to date that I have made in life. And I'm the proud father of three children. My oldest is a girl and okay. she is about to get her driver's license in a couple of weeks. I have a, oh, a significant amount of panic around that. And <laughs> so she is nearing her 16th birthday and my wife and I are kind of old school. So when, when we were pregnant for the first time with her, we went in for our ultrasound, said to the technician, we know we have all this modern technology and we can find out if it's a girl or boy, but we don't want to know. We want to be surprised. And so we didn't know she was a girl till the day of her birth and a year and a couple of months later, we got pregnant for a second time and, and had really an identical pregnancy and went for that ultrasound, said the exact same thing. We don't want to know. We didn't know my daughter was a girl till the day she was born. So just make a note. Mm-hmm. And the ultrasound tech was scanning my wife's belly. I can still see her face right now. Um, yeah. She's scanning my wife's belly and she looked up with this huge smile and she said, I see two heads. What? And I remember thinking, why are you smiling if the baby <laughs> has two heads? Nothing about, <laughs> nothing about you that. You are a twisted woman. Yes. Yeah. And, and honestly, I was that shocked because we have no history of multiples in our family. My wife Mm. had not gained extra weight. Her counts weren't different. None of the indicators that are always there, almost always there to to cue you to having multiples. So at that point, I said, well, go ahead and tell us what we're having because we're so behind at this moment. (laughs) Any information will be useful. So two boys, I have twin sons and amazing three kids. I'm I'm honored just to be in their life and, and learn a lot from them. Obviously, the work I do is with children and families, but but I would say the best teachers I've had along the way have not been my undergrad or graduate teachers. So I'm grateful for those professors, but really my children. And tell everybody a little bit about your background so they you know know where you're coming from and, and helping us with our voice. I will. I, I'm a therapist. Okay. And I work in this amazing practice in Nashville, Tennessee called Daystar Counseling Ministries. And mm. We work specifically with the pediatric population. So we only see children, adolescents, and families. We don't do marital work, couples work, or individual work with grownups. We just see the little, the little ones. And I love working with children and adolescents. And we come at that in, in a very different way. We have a very different approach. We work in a house rather than in an office. So when kids come in our front doors, we don't want it to feel like a doctor's office or a clinical setting that could feel scary or overwhelming. So we purposely are in a house. All of our offices look like living rooms. We Mm -hmm. have four therapy dogs on staff. So you are more likely to be greeted by a dog, a big old English sheep dog or Labrador when you walk in the door than a person. And and just (laughs) all of all of that really being about how could we help kids and families feel as comfortable as possible coming into this setting. So I work primarily with kids individually. I do. Uh, I actually am leading a group right now with seven and eight year old boys, which I love. And they are fascinating teachers as well. And then I do a lot with my clinical work of, of what we call parent consultations, which are really like a well visit to the pediatrician's office. So mm. 
I love that time of coming together with with parents who are typically asking questions, some version of a question of, does this sound normal to you? Yeah. <laughs> do we yeah. do we sound like we're on target or is there anything we should be doing differently? And I, I just, I love that time of coming together in a real proactive way with parents just to talk around this, as you well know, this fascinating, transforming, oftentimes overwhelming journey of, of raising kids we love. And the focus of the work I do is primarily with boys. And, and adolescent young men. So I come together with a lot of parents of boys and, and really love that work. And then I've had the, the privilege of traveling around the country and, and talking on a range of topics related to, to child development and have written a few books. So I, I just love the opportunity to interact with parents and, and families and, again, have, have learned a lot from sitting with those great teachers. Well, I noticed you all stopped with the twin boys. There wasn't a fourth you it. are correct. In <laughs> fact, we went we went for a multiples class um, yeah. because we were, again, trying to do anything we could to get from so far behind. And I remember sitting in that room and hearing the instructor share this stat that I think it was 60% of parents who have twins or triplets will go on to have a second set. And there were three couples in our class who oh, were on their second set. Oh my! Stars. And I remember okay. looking mm-hmm. at my wife and saying, "We are done. We're <laughs> done. Because at the rate we're going, we'd go from one to three to six, like immediately. Yeah. We'd have triplets yeah. next time. Oh, yeah. we as overwhelmed as could be right there. So we felt a very clear sense of God saying, "This is this is already more than you can handle. So we'll we'll just work from this." <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, with twin boys, you got to see the brother interactions, and uh, a lot of listeners that I asked about boy questions weren't just asking for their one boy. They were asking for their brothers and interactions of lots of boys, and there were a lot of questions about wrestling and roughhousing and what's normal and when do we jump in, and I would love to hear your thoughts on how, as moms, we handle that, because that's not in our it's not in my DNA for sure to just start wrestling people. So how do we exactly my husband said once he goes, don't you just want to punch someone in the face? I was like, uh, never in my life, except for like sometimes with the boys. Have I wanted to just punch someone in the face? Well, I mean, that's well, I get it. And could I, may I share a quick story to, to oh, I love speak it. into those yeah. questions? Um, my wife called me at work one day, my boy, I can remember this vividly. My boys were three years old and it was, their first day of preschool. And so she called to talk about what it was like to drop them off at the first day of school, Mother's Day Out preschool program. And we talked that through. She called three hours later because it was a half day and said, I need to talk with you about something your sons did. And anytime they become (laughs) my sons, I get a little nervous. Uh, Uh And she went Uh on to say, I walked up to the classroom door and she first off had one of those golden moments that I think we sometimes get as parents where, you know what it's like when we walk up and we get to watch our kids when they don't see us and just observe mm-hmm. them in their world. She had one of those moments and here were these two boys in their brand new classroom. They didn't see her and they were building blocks with two of their new friends. And at about the exact same moment, they saw her and they both came tearing across the room as fast as they could and they ran and headbutted her. Like they had been plotting it all day long. Like when she gets here, you come at her from this side. I'll come at her (laughs) from this side too. And she said to me on the phone, she's like, 
that was about the worst greeting I have ever experienced, especially from my offspring. And I said, Mm. honey, hear me say as best you can. I really do think that was their little boy way of saying, I have missed you so much that I'm going to ram my body into you. Like we're going to become <laughs> one person right now. And I think, oh my I think two things on that. I think one to any of the moms who are out there listening to boys, the parents of, of young boys, I want to say to you, that is such a snapshot of your relationship with him. You are like the center of his universe. He just mm-hmm. orbits around you. You were like home plate, that base that he is always running back to. I, I, I talked in every single chapter about some unique things that boys need from moms. And then I wrote a whole separate chapter about a boy and his mother because that relationship is so pivotal. It's so foundational. Mm-hmm. And we can give so much attention to a boy's relationship with his father, which is every bit as important. But the concern for me is we focus in so much on that one that we dismiss the significance of of what a boy gets from his mom, needs from his mom, and how he develops out a relationship with his mom. So I think that's one thing I'd say. But secondly, I'd say in response to questions is I loved even how you added on to that question of saying, that's just not the way I have ever thought to greet a person, to respond to a person, to interact with a yes. person. But it's absolutely yes. a boy, the way a boy would think too. You know, just this sense of I love mm-hmm. you so much, I'm gonna tackle you to the ground. I I that's mm-hmm. it just is in fact when I teach on stage one boys, which is boys between birth and four, the first two things I'll talk about are that he is active and aggressive. Because if mm-hmm. I can have a mom of a preschool age boy hold on to that, latch on to that. And begin to let go of some sense of what am I not doing enough of? Am I not disciplining him right. in the right way? What am I doing right? Wrong? Am I what not am I doing wrong? It? What yeah. am I doing wrong? What am I missing? Yeah. I, I had a music teacher who had no kids when one of my sons was physical in a music class. It was like a mommy and me music class. She said, where did he learn to hit like that? She looked at me. Wow. Where did he learn? I'm like, have you never? I thought you were the teacher of this music class. Have you never seen a preschooler launch at somebody else that seems kind of normal development to me but he he learned it from when we watch all the boxing it is Um, and and he learned it because his hard wiring is such that he is this physical active creature that moves through life a lot of times acting before thinking and and it really can i say to moms so many times that aggression can be a response of affection it can be a response mm-hmm. of intimacy of, I love this person so much, I'm going to take them down right now. <laughs> I call it, I used to call it with my wife a love assault. I'm like, there's, <laughs> not, there's not a moment you can remember that our daughter has ever given you a love assault, you know, but our boys mm-hmm. could do that on an almost daily basis. Now, with that said, I talk also about where boys have a lot of trouble differentiating. They, you know, for example, will turn everything into a competition. So they need a lot of coaching toward Competition happens right here on the soccer field, on the basketball court. It does not happen when we're heading to the van. And if you keep knocking your little sister over to get the best seat in the van, or if you're racing to get your breakfast cereal eaten first, or every October after parents' conference with teachers, I'll have multiple parents say to me, you know, they said he's racing to turn his work in first. He doesn't even remember to write his name on his paper. So Boys have trouble differentiating in a lot of categories, competition being one, aggression being another. And so, for example, that very night of that incident I just shared when my boys came home, I I said, hey, guys, we talked about this before. And here's another reminder. You can tackle me anytime you want. 
You cannot mm-hmm. tackle your sister. <laughs> you cannot yeah. headbutt your mother. Like that's not a way that they feel loved. So you can do it with me. So that kind mm-hmm. of coaching and differentiation is something we'll have to do with him all throughout his life. Now, once he grows forward, regulation will be more on his side. So his ability to do that will oftentimes be stronger as he gets older. Some boys will be a little later to get there than others. But it is to say, especially in that first stage in the toddler window, and that can run all the way up to five sometimes, we're going to see a whole lot of evidence of that. And and I would say, because we are, I think one of the best gifts we can give our sons is to carve out time and space for it. I mean, you can add that in just like bath time and story time. You can have wrestle time and you can put some good parameters around that. You know, I, I think boys need to be coached toward if your brother says no or stop, if I as your dad say no or stop, even if you feel like you're not hurting that person, you may be. So if you keep on going at that point, we separate out for a while. And, and, and that separate out I think is key because oftentimes I will experience that parents more oftentimes, maybe moms, because it doesn't feel as instinctive to them. will put a boy in timeout in that moment or punish him in that moment. As opposed to, if you think about for a quick minute, if you've ever watched a boxing match or wrestling match, what the ref will do is separate and they'll just go sit on stools for a minute and then they come back into right. the ring, but no one's in trouble because when you wrestle, right. you wrestle. And so Thinking about what it would look like, I even worked with a family where they would, the mom every night would tape off. She would duct tape around a big square and then they would go, she would ring a bell and they'd go sit on pillows, big overstuffed pillows on the side. And that was their way of taking breaks. Yeah, but it was her way of honoring your physical creatures. This is something that you need. How can I give this to you? And it can be a regulation teaching opportunity, what it looks like to stop Mm -hmm. when the bell rings or stop when your sibling says no or enough or you're hurting me. I think a couple of things that are great about that is one, helping moms realize that it's normal for boys to be aggressive or, you know, some boys more than others. It's a need that they have that needs to be, um, have an outlet at some place, whether it's at home. I think, I think personally at home with a dad or home with the brothers and if not a dad and uncle or something, and then, uh, you know, a safe, safe person. And then that you provided, an opportunity to learn a safe word, a safe phrase. Like a friend of mine was saying their, their family's phrase was like banana chip or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Bananas was their safe word for when someone was done because stop, like their brain naturally didn't hear it. (laughs) But bananas was like a totally random word. Uh, It's great. Right. So, and I love, I think when you have enough boys, you realize this after a while, but when you just have one and maybe a sister and there's constant, tension between the two because the boy's using what he normally does with the girl who doesn't receive it well. I think you're freeing a lot of moms from this burden they feel that what am I doing wrong? And for the boy to not feel shame in what's wrong with you, can't you treat your sister better? Thank you. Right? Heather, thank you for saying that. I just I, I think that's part of the reason why I would even say set aside time like bath time and story time. See it as that important because I believe when we don't create outlets, whatever that may be, whether that's time at the park after preschool or outdoor time, whatever, whatever that needs to be for a boy. I really do believe that pent up energy is a part of what sets the stage for him acting out or being disobedient. Mm -hmm. And and I believe a boy Mm -hmm. will spend so much of his life hearing no, don't stop, quit that 
a lot of that, in my opinion, is on us. We haven't created enough context for him to move and run and punch and hit and do all the things he needs to do as a very physical being. And so that pent up energy is sometimes his cry for help. And so I don't want a boy. I love that you even threw out that word shame. I don't want a boy to become shamed for being who God made him to be, a physical creature. I want us as parents yeah. to be asking questions like, how can I offer more to that to him? And not using it, yeah, and not using it as an excuse. I've been in situations where there's a family maybe with just one boy, and so then there's the other confusion of, well, boys will be boys, and there's no boundaries on them allowing their child to be mean. I yes. mean, there's a difference between aggression and meanness. Yes. How do we handle if our boys are in a situation at school or at a play group where one boy's not just being physical, but actually being mean and, and it's being written off as boys will be boys. Yes. Well, and even, even going back to that example, you and I were talking around of the wrestling and the mom who <laughs> put the two pillows and they had to go sit. A part of what's happening in that moment is not just regulation, but respect. I'm respecting yeah. when my mom rings the bell. I'm respecting mm. my brother needs a break, whatever that may be, because you're right. Respect. We don't ever want to carve respect out of the equation. It's got to be in there. And so yeah. when he crosses that line, when he doesn't stop, when a person says banana or whatever the word may be, that <laughs> yeah. that's a different equation because then it is a sense of disobedience or he chose not to regulate in that moment. So mm. I absolutely agree that it's not, we're not giving him a permission slip to just be wild, disrespectful, or even inappropriate in certain contexts, you know, to walk into, I've talked with parents who will say, my son will walk into church and he'll start tearing down the hallway at 60 miles an hour. And he ran into an elderly person and almost knocked him over type thing. So how can we honor the fact he needs to run, but it is not okay to run in that context. And certainly not okay if they're elderly people who could be hurt or knocked over. So I think right. it really is about asking that question again and again. How could I give him more of this? I, I've often said to mm. parents, one of the best $20 you could ever spend as a parent of a boy is get a mini trampoline. Yes. Hallelujah. Get a mini trampoline. It really yeah. is about the best $20 you could spend. And particularly during the colder months, depending on where you live, mm -hmm. that you can't get out quite as much, that he can jump himself crazy. I'll even say when he's learning math skills, when you're practicing sight words, when he's studying for a spelling test, put him on that thing during those moments. Like you just can't imagine mm -hmm. how much mileage you can get out of that resource. Yeah. We had an old couch too. I've, I've shared this on a mob society before where we would, a friend gave us this idea. They pile the cushions almost like they created a mountain mm. pouring off the couch onto the floor and you played King of the Hill Good for you. where you like f throw them down the hill or, you know, that was a friend's idea because it's, it's a, a valid conquest game, you know, a, a competition, but a healthy physical game. And, you know, yes. anyway, now we have nice couches and I can't <laughs> even do it. But good for you for having <laughs> it in that season. It used to. Yeah, I need to I need to bring back the trampoline got broken. It was used mm -hmm. so much. It was so jumped on. OK, but there's probably a mom listening saying that's nice for the really aggressive boy. But you don't know my boy. He's super sensitive and. And I get this. I have a multi, I have four, so I have a lot of variety in my boys. Um, ones that are more thoughtful and sweet and tender, and they don't know how to connect sometimes with those aggressive boys. And and they also are hearing a message that if you're more sensitive, then you must not be a boy. And so, how have you counseled parents on that, yes. especially in this day and age where gender's being really blurred and yes, no, no, and they're getting labeled with things that are related to their sexuality because of their sensitivity. Absolutely. And it's part of why I'm so thankful that mom asked that question that we could talk around that. And I have 
sat yeah. with countless parents who would say the very thing and sat with countless young men who I would say are hardwired like that. And, yeah. and I would say a couple of things to that. One, I would challenge any parent, mom or dad, who has a son who's a young man who feels things deeply to do a few things. One would be throw out the word sensitive. I don't, mm. I don't prefer to mm. use that with a young man because I think it has a feminine ring to it. And I don't know a boy in the world who likes to be referred to as you're a sensitive boy, mm. but I would replace that with a word like, in fact, I, a lot of times with young boys will frame it like a superhero power. I'll say, you know, you have a spidey sense because so many boys mm. have watched a Spider-Man cartoon likely. And so, you know, think about how Spider-Man could hear things know things, mm. sense things that other people couldn't. And so I really love framing it like a superhero, superhero power. And I'll even say you have this superhero power that a lot of boys don't have. And it mm. is a gift. And that's that's what mm. I would emphasize as kind of a second point. Frame it as a gift. And I want mm. a boy to hear that consistently because during his middle school years, in particular, early high school, um, in boy culture in this day and age, you'll get a lot of pats on the back for being athletic or funny. You don't get yeah. a whole lot of pats on the back as a boy for being a great student necessarily. And you sure don't get a lot of pats on the back for being really intuitive, observant, a deep thinker, a deep feeler. That's artistic. Yes, or, absolutely. Yeah. Those just yeah. aren't things boys are going to affirm in one another. And so in that stretch in particular, I want him to have had a good foundation on the front side that he knew that before he went into that hard stretch of the road. My parents have always spoken that over me. And so I would say that first. And, and in particular, I would challenge moms to challenge their husbands. If dad is not a part of the equation, grandfather, uncle, I want boys to hear that from other men, that emotions reside in the life of a man. It is a good thing to know and understand what you feel and how to deal with that. Mm. And again, call out that strength as a superhero power. I will even have dads who aren't wired that way say things to boys like, you know what, buddy? I wish I were more like you in that way. I wish I knew how to be more observant. I wish I had that spidey sense. I wish I could walk in a room and understand things that people are thinking and feeling in the way that you do. So calling out it as a strength and then secondarily helping a boy figure out what to do with that. And mm. that's key because – Oftentimes with very young boys who are wired that way, it can feel, I tend to say to parents, imagine what it's like when you're standing at the edge of the ocean and you know what it's like when a pretty small wave hits you on the ankle or the knee and you can hold your posture, hold your position. But if a gigantic wave comes, it might knock you over literally. And mm. for those young men, oftentimes emotions come in heavier waves like that. And so it's the kind of thing mm. that feels like it can take them down. And so they can, you know, weep and in, in a lot of moments of life or feel distress on a whole different level. And, and I don't want to I don't want that kind of young man to hear things like stop crying so much or why are you so worked up over this? Those kinds mm. of phrases are shaming and, and it makes him feel like his hard wiring is faulty. And so that's a mm. part of where we compete with it, with that gift. And I think it's unique for every young man what works best in terms of figuring out how to take that emotion to something constructive. So I like brainstorming over time with a boy so he figures out uniquely for him. You know, I have a lot of boys who will say to me, the thing that helps me the most is to go out in my backyard and talk with my dog. I have a lot of boys who tell me they'll talk with their dog, throw the tennis ball, and my dog listens to me really well, or take my dog on a mm. walk, or I have 
you know, boys will say, I want to go upstairs and write in a journal. I want to go upstairs and listen to some music. I want to go to my room and build some Legos when I come home and just have some mm. quiet time to work that through. I will, I will say one last thing. I'd link that to what we talked about with boys being physical and saying, I do think it's useful for a lot of boys, even if he's not a young man, you'd say who's aggressive to have some physical outlets to channel the intensity of that motion emotion, because I think boys feel emotions with a lot of physicality. And so if mm. he has a tree, he can climb, or he has a punching bag, he can punch or a trampoline, he can jump on or a kickstand he can hit, or even a wiffle ball bat he can hit a tree with so that he can release some of the physicality of that. We have a, mm. we have a full body bag hanging in my basement right now. We look like we're training boxers over here at the Thomas <laughs> household. But I can't tell you how, because we've been using it for years and years, how often I'll come home from work and hear one of my sons down in the basement punching and grunting and yelling sometimes as they do it. And then oftentimes mm. it'll give way to, to crying or even sobbing. And they're working through mm. being betrayed by a friend. They're working through not being chosen for a team. They're working through a lot of things our boys are going to face in life, but figuring out how can I take the physicality of that emotion to something constructive so I don't just start yelling at the people in my family that I love or just falling apart and flailing all over the place, but I know what to do with it. Okay, that's so good for moms because I even like we would take offense if they would go to their room or we would take offense if they would go to the basement or we would say, why don't they want to talk to me about it? Because we want to talk it out, especially if we're verbal processors and to give our boys the freedom that they may want to talk about it later. But right now they need to just go and hit something or go and talk to a dog or take a walk. Uh, my husband said his mom shared with him recently that it used to hurt her feelings a little bit that he'd come home from school and go straight to his room, mm -hmm. not realizing he needed that space. And it wasn't personal. Uh, it was a, it was a need being met. So I think that's really freeing for us moms. And again, it's the lies that we tell ourselves. One with the really aggressive little boy who's hitting everybody. What am I doing wrong? That my son is so horrible to people, not realizing it's just a need. And two, uh, the the what am I doing wrong that my boy doesn't want to talk to me? It's not personal. Yes. I think you're freeing a lot of moms from the lies that we tell ourselves. I hope so. I, hope so. I really do. Huge. And, and I love your your mother in law's response to your husband and just giving him that space. I think really is a gift because even if you have a strong student, a young man who's academically minded, great at school, I really do believe that. Boys have to expend about two times the mental and sometimes emotional energy that girls do in the classroom because it requires so much sitting still and maintaining focus, mm. which he is hardwired yeah. for activity and movement. We've been talking about it, not for sitting still and maintaining focus. And so he's having to work harder at regulating and school's also heavy on written and verbal expression. And those tend to bend a bit more to a girl's strengths as well. So he is working overtime, and when he comes home, he really does need some space and some time and some room to just move and work that through and maybe be silent and no grown-up requiring something of him the way it has been all day mm -hmm. long. So, yes, think, think hard, think creatively about what that can look like in the afternoon. Okay, another thing about, you know, moms and boys is the struggle that it feels like they don't hear us. <laughs> unless we say chocolate or something like mm -hmm. ice cream. Uh, 
how do we how do we help them hear what we're saying and obey? Like, is that an impossible task? <laughs> it is not. What what tips do you have for us to help our boys hear us? It's not at all. But I, it is a common concern that I hear parents raise, particularly moms. And and I think it's it's going back to thinking about how's he hardwired? How is his little brain uh, different than mine as a female, different than his sister's? And understanding that he is a more singularly focused creature. You all as women have this remarkable ability to to do that fascinating thing called multitasking that some males can do a little bit better with, but many males cannot. And so I tend to say to moms, one, the, the first trap I think you can walk into with a boy is maybe giving him too many commands. And that brings about that result of he's not listening to me. He's not following through. So I laugh with moms and I'll say, okay. Let's just agree that every day in this country, vans, SUVs, cars are pulling into driveways and parents, oftentimes moms, are guilty of saying things. All right, listen up. We got a busy afternoon. I need you guys to (laughs) drop your muddy cleats outside, hang your backpack in your locker, head on up and get your bath first because we've got more homework and that project to work on. Meet me at the table. We'll do dinner early and then jump on that work. Okay, have you been in my car in the garage? Because I literally think word for word you said exactly. It just exactly it's, what I've it's said so before. Easy to have that happen, and it's and yes. it's so often that we then find a boy just wandering around the house, meandering yes. around, maybe playing with Legos, and, oh and you find him yes. and you feel exasperated, and that's that don't quit, stop, no kind of moment where it's like, what are you doing? Like, didn't you hear me say we've got so much to do? Why are you wandering around? Or why are you playing with Legos right now? Whatever it may be. So our first mistake there would be giving him way too much instruction because he's a singularly focused creature. So break that down. I'd say drop your muddy cleats out back and meet me in the kitchen. That's one command. And then we can praise him when he comes to us and give him the next one. Go ahead and hang your backpack up and then meet me here. And we'll, I'll tell you the next thing, whatever it may be that honors the way his brain is, Hardwired, and then I would say, okay, so one one idea, yes, one idea please. too. Okay, well, a question actually more than idea. My husband says he doesn't like to be micromanaged, like every little step told to him. So his approach sometimes is to say the end goal, and then hope that they figure out all the steps in between. Is that realistic? Do you think? It, at what age do you think that's realistic for a boy to figure out all the steps it takes for us to leave the house at a certain time? I do. Ready for the next thing. I do think it's realistic. And I like that your husband okay. is folding in the sense of here's where we're headed. And we can still okay. break it down in a manageable stages, even if we begin at that place. But your, your okay. question actually sets the stage perfectly for the second thing I'd recommend. And that is, okay. he is also, if we think about his brain, he is primarily a visual, spatial, and experiential learner. So okay. anytime we can lean in those directions and notice nowhere in that list that I say he's primarily an auditory learner. So we're going to be talking at him and talking to him way too much. So where I would fold mm. in your husband's in-game practice would be to say, I am a huge advocate of give a boy a visual. If he does have several tasks, post a note card. For example, okay. when when we're leaving on a trip, I'll even send my kids a PDF of what of <laughs> here's the game plan type thing and then pull it up on their devices. And so what we're doing there is allowing rather than me just yelling commands, don't forget this, remember this, we need to be here at this, that kind of thing. I could just say check the list. If we have a visual cue for him in his bathroom, in his bedroom, 
of just the two or three things he's responsible for doing every day. We don't have to nag and go on and on and then get frustrated that he's not listening to us. And buddy, why didn't you make your bed? You know, you have to do that. We can just say, check the card. In fact, can I laugh with you and tell you this funny new practice I yes. implemented at my yes. house? We live in a two-story house and for several decades, I was a runner and I just, I ran way too many marathons and put too many miles on my knees. And so I'm no longer much more than a walker and I <laughs> cannot go up and down the stairs 20 times in the morning to make sure everybody did all their morning stuff and got everything they needed. So when we are, because my wife's a teacher, so she's getting ready and I'm kind of the morning, the morning guy coaching. Yeah. So I will say, Hey, Hey fellas, send me a photo when you've done everything in your bedroom. Oh, I know. Nice. I mean, literally it's, it's awesome. And they will take a picture. So if your kid and if your child doesn't yet have an iPod or an iPad or a phone, they can take your phone. You could send them upstairs and say, take a picture and bring it back down to me. And it gives them this sense of ownership and it keeps yeah. me from having to follow behind them, nag, prompt, redirect, set up this. You're not listening yes, to me. That's moment. like, I feel like my life. Yes. yes. It's my life. And, and yes. It almost yes. becomes kind of a game or a competition. In fact, you didn't even make it. All right. I'm going to see who the first person can be to bring me a photo of the three things you've done in your room. And the three things could be make your bed, pick up your dirty clothes, whatever it may be. And certainly that'll be age appropriate for kids, but it's, it's so awesome. I haven't even been upstairs in my house in like three months. I don't even know what it looks like up there. I just see photos of it all the time. Uh, <laughs> it's like you're a stalker of your own house. Yeah. But it's a great way to fold yeah. technology into this practice. But again, yeah. and, and what it's most about is, I want to be working with the way they're hardwired and me yelling mm. a bunch of instructions or shouting out or following around behind them. It's just not going to create a best case scenario in my mind, but visual yeah. cues. If you walked around this house, you would see note cards all over the place. They so have, a, they have a list in about every room because they're more visual than auditory. Well, and I'm, I think back to my speech pathology days of how many times we use those little pictures, those little cartoon pictures for kids who struggled with receptive yes. language. We always had little booklets, whether it was a social story, and we're going to teach them when you meet this friend, you give yes. them a high five. You don't tackle them to the ground. Or, you know, we would have like how their day was going to go and it would be in picture form, but then I'm not taking those skills <laughs> and applying them to my real life. Um, but that would be helpful instead of all the energy and frustration and really that message going back to that message of shaming of like, what's wrong with you? Um, why can't you get this right? It, it, it's like, well, because it's not how I'm made. Yes. I'm not made to, to hold 70 directions in my head. Uh, like, like you maybe yes. think I am. So yeah, can I, that's really, can good. I say too that I love your example yeah. with the pictures because that's exactly what I recommend for the visual cue with moms of preschoolers. If a boy can't read, yeah. I had a mom I worked with who she literally just got one of those round keychains that we put our keys on and she would print them off on the computer and loop them on that little ring and hand the ring out every morning with what they were responsible for. And that way she could change mm -hmm. them out if they changed. And so they came to her every morning and they brought the ring back when they were done. So yes, Using those it's kind of so practices good. is good. Well, then it creates a habit and you probably don't need it after a Certainly. while. Yeah. Especially if it's a recurring thing. Okay. What about, I'm trying to decide which one we go to next. Um, I think, I think we need to talk about the boy parts and the farting and all of that. I'm thinking that's a good place that we need to go to. Let's do. Let's do. <laughs> because I, I really think that as moms, that's we really struggle with understanding why it's so funny and why we have to be 
so gross all the time. It just feels very foreign mm-hmm. to how we are made. Mm-hmm. So how do we how do we help them? What boundaries do we set? Is it okay to let a little slide? What help? <laughs> well, it's a good question, and and I say a few things there. One, I think it's another place where boys struggle to differentiate. I really do. And that okay. assumption we might make as adults and certainly moms in particular as females that surely, you know, that's not appropriate in that moment. He really might know. Or back to what I spoke to earlier, acting before thinking, because that's how he's more wired. He may just jump right in and then later think, "Ooh, I shouldn't have said it there or that wasn't a good thing to say in front of a girl, whatever it may be. And so know that a part of what's going on really may be about that's how he's hardwired. I think much like the wrestling time, we could set aside some time where a boy, brothers and dad could go in a room and they could make really ridiculous burping sounds for 10 minutes. And it could be called the burping time. It could be called the man cave time, whatever you'd want it to be, where they can kind of get it out of their system. A lot of teachers obviously use that kind of practice. All right, everybody's mm-hmm. going to get their wiggles out in this moment. And then we're going to start spelling. So using that right. same kind of mindset of, again, carving out some space, giving him some time, but even help. I think part of how we help him with differentiating is that he would have to go to a different room with his dad or his brother so that it communicates that sense of that's not something appropriate for the dinner table. But my Mm -hmm. experience. We used to have, if you want to talk about potty talk, you can go to the bathroom. There it is. You nailed it. But, but then it feels a little bit like, well, then you're isolated. And the whole point of the fun is that everyone laughs. Mm -hmm. Right. So I guess it takes away that reward. But I don't know if it gets it out of their system because it's not really funny to just sit in a room and, by yourself and say. Which is why if we gave him some know. carved out time ahead of time, it really might yeah, solve okay. some of that problem. I'd be curious. Yeah, yeah. But, All but right. also something I throw in, and this is a little bit of a detour, but I think is within the question that's being asked is I am a real advocate as we're teaching boys about body parts of using anatomically correct words. Because yeah, I think part of the potty yeah. talk comes from we come up with these crazy wee wee tt kind of yeah, totally. yeah. yes and they sound kind of yeah. hilarious and it almost invites more of that. So mm-hmm. and, and and when we're doing that teaching that we do about the body and understanding private parts within it, we're having conversations obviously obviously about this is a conversation just for our family. It's never your mm-hmm. job to go to school and tell other kids about this. It's their mom and dad's jobs to teach them. And what we're doing is we're creating those same categories. Here's where we talk about it. Here's what we talk about. But it's not this wing-wang bleeding into all aspects of life because we're using silly words and we're not putting those parameters around it. So I think that's another part of it. My experience has been the more we're having that kind of good education, the less boys have a need for it. They're always mm. going to be drawn to a whoopee cushion. That's just a part of who they are and what they're about. <laughs> just hilarious. I mean, a whole industry sure. for the fart sound. Sure. It's got to be funny. And now yeah. we have an app yeah. for it. Oh, are you kidding? I'm sure. Yes, indeed. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, there's going to be a whole... We should have you back for a whole show on technology <laughs> and boys. I think that we need help on that for sure. Okay, one last question before I let you go is about um, a mom... Four-year-old boy, which I I don't know. If, can you verify this? Someone told me once that there's a testosterone surge at four years old. Is that true? Yes, there is. And okay. he will experience, obviously, exaggerated 
testosterone surges when he moves into pre and mid adolescence. In fact, he'll in mid adolescence be having five to seven testosterone surges going through his body. Okay. But those early and that what age is that? Like that's ten, eleven. You know, average most boys on average have their most explosive physical growth somewhere between thirteen and fourteen. But some boys can start that around twelve. Some boys may be a little slow to hit that and it may be more 15, but in that range, somewhere in that 12 to 15 range is when it'll start. And you'll be more aggressive, less impulse control. Yes. And we'll see evidence obviously in that stretch of he's growing hair on his lip and other parts of the body, his face will break out. We'll see the physical cues of that. We obviously wouldn't be seeing the physical cues of that in the same way much earlier along, but we may feel it with those exaggerated needs for being rowdy, aggressive, running, whatever it may be. Yeah. It was just helpful to me to recognize with four-year-old boys that that was like a thing because it just, I felt it. You know, everyone says terrible twos and then I thought threes were hard and then four, I was like, oh, we're going to get to an easy place and they weren't. They were hitting more and fighting more and and this mom was asking about tantruming. What, what do you, what advice do you have for the mom with the tantruming strong-willed Mm four-year-old? That sounds fun. You know, you know what's interesting, Heather? I do yeah. more parent consultations of parents of four-year-old boys and 14-year-old boys than any other age. Interesting. Isn't it? Yeah. Those are two yeah. of the more complicated ages in my experience for a boy. Obviously, 14 is yeah. in the throes of the well, beginnings of adolescence. It. Yes. We assume it, it, it hits us blindsides us at four. We don't expect That's it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. it. No one is expecting it at that point. But my experience mm-hmm. is that the boys at boys at four are, are oftentimes their most stubborn, strong-willed, mm-hmm. and self-determined. Mm-hmm. That is, mm-hmm. those are kind of three things that can define what's going on with him developmentally that can make him really hard to parent. And you're right; so many parents are still locked in that idea of the terrible twos. And my experience is most boys really aren't terrible at two. I mean, most of them are still pretty delightful. They may be on the move, but still pretty tender and delightful. The good news is. When he turns five and don't hold on to his fifth birthday, like it's the magic Right, like an actual magical number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's moving into what I call stage two of his development, and I call that the lover stage. And Yes. If there were ever a moment when I could freeze a boy in his development, it would be then. So for all Mm -hmm. parents of four-year-old, strong-willed, stubborn boys who are tantruming, I would say hold on because the best stuff is right around the corner. But I would say Mm -hmm. for the right now, Go back to the conversation we shared about creating a space for him to channel the physicality of that emotion. So when he starts melting down, a lot of times I think it's because boys, A, don't know what to do with the emotion and B, don't know where to take it. And so if we designated a space, like I said, the basement's our space and we go there with him. Don't just send him there because that feels like time out. Go there Mm. with him and say, buddy, let's jump on the trampoline. Let's hit pillows. Let's kick the kickstand. Let's punch the punching bag. He can take the physicality to something constructive. And Mm. afterwards, when he's worked that through, and only then is when I would talk to a boy. I think we do way Mm. too much talking and coaching in those moments when he's elevated and tantruming. What's going on with you? Why are you so upset over those kinds of things? And our amygdala is activated in those moments and we are not in a rational place to be thinking and talking and forming ideas. So that's a part Mm -hmm. of, let's just get the intensity of that out. 
Let the amygdala settle. And then we can have more conversation about what you need to do, what you may have done wrong in that moment, what you were feeling. So, so a mom's at the grocery store, four-year-old's flipping mm-hmm. out because she's not going to buy the um, Lightning McQueen mm-hmm. nightlight. I don't, this has never happened to me. I'm just coming just, up with a, a random example. Yeah. I mean, I just totally pulled that out of nowhere. Um, and you said no, and he's flipping out. And you're in the like you're checking out like they're you're in the line. Mm-hmm. What? What? Mm-hmm. That is one. The trampoline. We yeah, don't. We don't have access to, to those yeah. things. Yes, I love having a Tupperware bin in the back of the car, much like what we oftentimes have that holds the car emergency supplies, like jumper cables and those kind of things. I would have a second one where you could have some yeah. squeeze balls. You could put a whole okay. lot of things in that that would allow him to have some of the benefit of the space at home until you get there. And sometimes the only thing you can do is pay for the groceries, feel humiliated, (laughs) and then get that tantruming creature out of there. If you are two minutes into the store, I park your buggy on the side and take him back out so that he feels this experience of, I'm going to give you space to work that through. And again, we're not shaming him, but we're, we're letting him cue us. Okay. Obviously you need some space to work this through. You need some time Mm -hmm. to work this through. Let's Mm -hmm. head out to the car and I'll open up your bin and I'm going to let you sit in the car and I'm going to return some phone calls outside, whatever it may be. And you'll stand right outside the car. What I noticed in your, what your advice too, is you're not engaging the tantrum and and like trying to get them to stop. Correct. You're allowing a space and a place and tools for them to stop themselves, right. to help themselves yes. you, calm down. Yeah. You're not only creating opportunity for them to regulate, but you're also communicating feelings are just feelings. We all have them. Yeah. The, the only yeah. difference is some people don't know what to do with them and some people do. And our job is to help our boys figure out what to do with them. And that's, again, a part of the practice of having some space. Oh, man. Okay. I think you've helped so many moms in so many different areas today. I'm breathing deeper. I think, I think my afternoon is going to go better. (laughs) I think it is. Can I thank you because I think you've created a space for moms to come together in community, which honestly, if you don't hear anything else today, moms hear me say, it's one of the greatest gifts you can give your sons right there. Come together in community. I mean, the space you've created, Heather, where moms can come obviously to get this great content, but, but to be together in this journey in the sense of, okay, yeah. that is normal. Okay. Yep. Yes, we are on track. Okay. Yes. Boys are supposed to be kind of stubborn and <laughs> self-determined at four. It's just invaluable. So thank you for allowing me just to even step into that space today. I love what yeah. you're doing. It's an honor to be a part of it. You have been hugely helpful. I want people to find you. Can they find you? What? Tell them first the books you've written so they can find resources can. Uh, for further learning. In fact, if you go on our website, which is raisingboysandgirls.com, all okay. one word, Raising Boys and Girls, there is a page with all of my books, and okay. there's a separate page that uh, will let you know if I'm coming to your hometown and speaking, and if I'm not, then tell your children's pastor that you love to have some boy content <laughs> at church, and and the, the website, obviously, being Raising Boys and Girls, uh, belongs to two of my colleagues at Daystar who are just remarkable and have written my all-time favorite book on girls. And so it's got great content for parents of girls and parents of boys. But we love opportunities to come to your hometown and, and just set up shop for a Saturday and 
or Sunday afternoon and just talk on this fascinating, overwhelming life changing journey of parenting. And so, okay. Who's the, who's the, the girl? Expert? They, I, everyone said they need help with girls. Yes. Too, so I might have to have her. If you have on. an opportunity, you need to have her on. Her name is Sissy. Okay. Sissy Goff. G-O-F-F is her last name and her book Raising Girls is on there and she's remarkable. And we, we, we teach a class together where she covers the girls and I cover the boys. We go back and forth and it's a fun, hilarious, interactive class, but we're just studying boy and girl development. And again, how God made these amazing creatures that we're parenting, but made them very differently. Well, you connect me and we'll get her on. I'd love to. I'd love All you moms who are like, wait a second. What about the girls? So we are so thankful for you. Thankful for putting time into writing books and for helping parents and helping boys be successful and becoming men. And uh, just thank you. Thank you for having me. So very me. grateful. All right. Have a great you day. Too. Take care. All right. Bye. I do love how David reminded me that this is a community. We need each other to say, is this normal? Is it normal for a four-year-old to be kind of hard? And so I hope you can find the rest of our community. We kind of are scattered a little bit, but there's some of us over on Instagram. If you find me at Godsitter Mom there on Facebook, I'll post regularly. I've done some videos over there at Godsitter Mom on Facebook. Uh, so just, you know, find me there, but also always you can find me here on the podcast. I wanted to give some shout outs to some amazing reviewers, uh, McKen's SR. I'm not even a mother yet, and I love the God's and Mom podcast. I find it very uplifting and helpful as I'm prepping to be a mom. Thank you for your review so much. Uh, brings me to Jesus. This was, I mean, who can ask for anything more? Like, to be able to be given the gift that I can help you know Jesus better. Uh, Jemima on the island. Jemima on the island. She's from UK. So there you go. This is my favorite podcast. Heather is amazing and, and inspire. Heather has amazing and inspiring guests. But even more than that, she's always down to earth, honest and real, and leaves me feeling grace and freedom, not guilt. That is the goal. It's a no guilt zone for sure. Uh, we have. Let's see. Sorry for all the clicking you hear. We have. Uh, oh, this is fun. This is G Vine Ten. She says, I heard Heather speak at a mom's group April 6, April 2016, and I really loved hearing her. So immediately I started listening to her podcast nonstop. I started at the beginning, and I'm now on episode 14 just six days later. I'm a new mom with a seven-month-old son. I've been multitasking while listening to God-centered mom. I keep having to stop what I'm doing to take notes and jot down scriptures that are discussed, even though they're all in the show notes. So maybe I'm less productive in my day-to-day tasks, but I find myself enjoying the minutia more while listening and maybe even getting more done since I'm enjoying it. I'm so encouraged to be creative in the ways I cling to Christ in the real life daily, and I'm more excited about motherhood. Thank you, Heather. I'm so glad. What a gift. Uh, eGood21, I'm a new listener, but a big fan. Thank you for your podcast. Amanda Noda, I love the God Cinema podcast. Thank you so much, Heather. I find it very inspiring and uplifting. Hands down, my favorite podcast. I'm addicted. Can't stop recommending it. Thank you for recommending it. What a huge deal that is. Uh, encouraging and authentic. Alyssa Yates, thanks, Alyssa. I look forward to this podcast every week. Heather is thoughtful in the topics she covers and the guests she invites to share with us. I appreciate God-centered encouragement from other moms and Christian women. So uplifting. Geek Scott, I've been listening to this podcast a long time. I've always been encouraged in my faith and mothering and marriage, among other things. And here we go. Mom of Dennis Boys, from one mama boys to another, it's a great listen. It's great to listen to a podcast focused on family with a Christian perspective. I hope 
mom of Dennis Boys, you liked this episode. And then relevant for everyone, I'm a mom of grown children. And Sisa, I think that's grandma, to three little darlings. I listen to God's Center Mom every week. My season of mothering looks different at 53, but I'm still learning about myself and my children and grandchildren. The topics on the show are relevant and varying content. They're encouraging me weekly in my faith journey. I've shared the episodes with other women and even some men. Don't let the mom in the title fool you. This podcast will encourage and inform any individual who's open to learning and growing, whether you're a mom, know a mom, or have a mom. This podcast is for everyone. Thanks, Cisa Extraordinaire. I love that, Cisa. Uh, Asher's Mama, this podcast is absolutely wonderful and a gift from God to all moms. I found this podcast at a low point. It's brought me great joy and encouragement, fresh perspective, and so much more. Currently back listening to old episodes. Y'all are the best. I mean, I feel like I'm glowing. This is so encouraging. I literally almost quit last week. I'm not kidding. We're all human. I said, Bruce, I'm done. I don't think I want to do the podcast thing anymore. And just when I feel that way, uh, there's an encouragement or God reminds me that this is his thing and I am just privileged to offer him my fishes and loaves and then he multiplies it. So thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for listening. Uh, there's going to be an episode coming up on quitting. <sighs> I think I'm going to be encouraged by that because you know what? It's really God doing the work and we are just privileged to see him move. So whatever you're thinking about quitting today, I hope that someone gives you that word of encouragement that reminds you that it's in your weakness that he is strong, that he is moving, and you just get to see him move. So be encouraged, mom. You're doing a good work. I'll talk to you later. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the God-Centered Mom podcast. If you're looking for more resources on how to replace me with he, go to GodCenteredMom.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guest. I want you to really understand and know that God is just as present while you are washing dishes at your kitchen sink as while you are worshiping Him in a church pew. He sees your service to your family and He is pleased. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Have a great day.